Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. At your suggestion, Brad, our opening for this episode is New Year, Same Team, Part 9. This is the ninth new year that we've experienced together on this podcast. No, thank you. We have to like disband after 10, right? It's too much time just knowing the same people, spending that much time in the same room. I'd say we need to hang on long enough to at least see one playoff series win, but I don't know if I'll actually live that long. <laughs> the, well, you know what? You're, you're not long for this world anyways. What are you, like 127? Getting there. Yeah. No, we're just kidding, folks. We're going to stick around. Happy New Year. As you can tell in our voices, we are not very far removed from New Year's celebrations. So this is one of our annual episodes where you're going to have to, you know, quote unquote, bear with us. It's, uh, we're going through some hurt right now. Except for you, Brad. You're great. I went to bed at 12.30 and woke up at 8.30. This is the best I've felt in months. One of the small advantages in terms of health and fitness to having kids is that your night wraps up early. Yes, I could not drink, did not drink, did not stay out late. No school today, no activities for the kids. So I just woke up whenever the hell they woke up. Just wonderful. It was everything I dreamed it could be. I have to imagine Catherine rolled you to my house today, Evan. Uh, she was in worse shape than me. Oh, a girl. I don't know why, though. I stayed up later and had more jello shots than her, so I don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> all right, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Barely here, but here nonetheless. We're here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about Detroit's two games to close out 2023, a wild affair against Nashville, which included... Probably one of the most unlikely candidates for a Gordie Howe hat-trick that we've ever seen. Uh, UC Soros playing insane, Lucas Raymond sniping home the OT winner, and lots more. And we'll also cover the Boston game, which happened on New Year's Eve, uh, and the eventual loss, how that came to be. We'll be taking a look at Detroit's record right now, their standings position at the moment, what their position will look like if they can get back onto form and what they would need to do to get back onto form. And we'll do some uh, Red Wings New Year's resolutions. We'll we'll go through those. And then we'll cover some news from across the NHL and the world of hockey, including the World Juniors and the PWHL kicking off games today. Before all of that, I want to let you know that this podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. You get access to a lot of great benefits. First, our Patreon-exclusive Discord community, which is a fantastic community. You get access to that. You're also automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we're giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season. All of them so far have gone directly to Patreon supporters, so it's an awesome benefit for you. You also get access to all of our Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these main ones. We let loose, have some fun, answer any questions that we didn't address on the main show and any other bonus content that we put out. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Okay, so Detroit played Nashville, and that was on the heels of a lot of terrible hockey beforehand. I think some people were saying, you know, in the Discord, and, and I was chatting with some people, they're like, yeah, the episodes haven't been the most positive, but at the same time, what can you do? It's not like you could really draw anything out of thin air to be positive about with this team. And Detroit needed 
to just grind one out against Nashville. They, it didn't need to be a dominant, you know, 10 nothing, no mistakes win. They just weren't playing that kind of hockey where that was feasible, but they needed to grind that game out and make sure that they didn't let things get out of hand when they did falter. And I, I think they managed to do that. Dylan Larkin kicked off scoring for Detroit, unassisted, shorthanded actually, which was great, although the Nashville also got a shorthanded goal uh, later in the game. Uh, Philip Forsberg tied it up. Jake Wallman stepped in and scored. Uh, this was a multi-goal game for him and a three-point game, a really great kind of bounce-back game for Wallman. And after that started the Gustav Nyquist, his dominance over Detroit that game. I I want Gustav Nyquist back. He was always one of my favorite Red Wings of that era, which is you know, a tough sell for that era of the Red Wings, but I would love to have him back on Detroit. I know it's like there's no room, really, in what's the function of having him back, but I always thought he was great. He was one of the main reasons for the Red Wings' last last playoff series victory. Yeah, yeah, he was. Nashville ended up going up 3-2, and then going to the third, you know, I said the same thing that I said about the Minnesota game going to the third. You know, you're down a goal. UC Soros is playing amazing, yeah, but it's just a goal. Nashville's not completely running your show. You're not out of this game. You need to find a way to just win 20 minutes. Like Just win this period. It's not out of reach, and don't let things fall away from you like they have in games previous, and including that Minnesota game. And lo and behold, Alex DeBrinkett scores. Jake Wallman scores again. Nashville actually tied it up at the hands of Gustav Nyquist, and then in overtime, Lucas Raymond at Mickey Redmond's urging, did you guys hear on the broadcast? He yep. goes, shoot it, Lucas. Just really quiet like that. <laughs> Steps to the top of the circles and just rips one. Perfect shot, perfect snipe, and you're just like, oh, man, this guy needs to just shoot all the time. All the time. Mickey Redmond with the perfect every hockey dad moment. Yeah, just shoot it, kid. Just shoot it, please, shoot it. But all in all, we'll talk about the details of the game in a second, but all in all, I think that was the kind of gutsy win that Detroit had needed at least one of before the end of the season. Yeah, the Red Wings, outside of Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit, have had nothing going on lately, and that includes some of their better players. Dylan Larkin had been very quiet. The pairing of Sider and Wallman had been plainly bad. Understanding their significant disadvantage in their deployment, but still, they had been bad in that role. And we weren't sure if Wallman was battling an injury still, how he was feeling, what was causing it, et cetera, et cetera. So it was good to see Larkin look more like himself. It was good to see Wallman and Sider look more like what they can be. Obviously, Wallman had a three-point game, so that goes without saying. And then Raymond getting one in overtime. So the Red Wings' depth didn't do a whole hell of a lot that game. But three very key players who hadn't done a hell of a lot the last few weeks stepped up and led the charge to that victory beyond Kane and Dabrinkit because obviously they were still both very good that game. Yeah, you mentioned Larkin and him stealing the puck and then going down shorthanded and scoring all on his own. Like that's kind of vintage Dylan Larkin right there. And I'm not saying you didn't see any of that, but it seems like a, a broken record kind of thing. But Larkin, ever since his injury, you're like, what's off? What's missing? And he hadn't been playing the best. Before Dabrinkit scored, <laughs> he fed Roman Yossi his lunch. I think Roman Yossi had like five inches and 20 pounds on him, something like that. I, I could have those numbers wrong. But Roman Yossi, you just look at him. He's a much bigger guy. Like Alex Dabrinkit is Brad's height. And Roman Yossi is like, I don't know. He, he's not 
Zidane Chara, but he was like Zidane Chara next to Alex Dabrinkit. If we're speaking literally, I'm actually taller than Alex Dabrinkit. That's, yeah. That, which is saying a lot. He's a small guy. There's a scrum in front and at the end of the second period, and somehow Dabrinkit and Yossi get tangled up. Dabrinkit's hanging on to the front of Yossi's jersey. Yossi's hanging on to Dabrinkit. And then he's looking at him. Yossi's looking at Dabrinkit laughing. Which, honestly, if you're that much bigger than a guy who wants to tussle, like you're probably going to laugh too. And he looks at him, and he's laughing. like not. It's not misconstrued. He's like, oh, this kid is, I'm going to kick the shit out of him. This is uh, the big brother looking at the little brother going, you're adorable. And then Yossi throws his gloves off first, grabs Dabrinkit, tries to do something, and then just gets pummeled by this little man. Just gets absolutely destroyed. And Yossi's not a fighter, very obviously. Neither is Dabrinkit. But Yossi, I'm sure he thought this was going to be way easier than it was. But I keep It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And Mickey Redmond's reaction to it, too, just like laughing his ass off. Dabrinkit beat him up. He straight up just beat up a grown man. It looked hilarious, too. Went from like zero to 100 so fast. <laughs> and in a blink of an eye, it was all over. You know, you can't let Alex Dabrinka get to the inside and uh, work within his reach. Then you're screwed. And Roman Yossi was not prepared for that. No. Dabrinka had the perfect little guy fight strategy. I'm just not going to stop swinging. I am punching every second until someone pulls me off the guy. Does he have an older brother? He must. Yeah, right? This is not his first rodeo. Yeah, yeah. And Evan's right. Like, if they let you inside and you're a smaller guy, that's what you have to do. You get in and you make it you make it hurt as many times as you can while you're exactly. in there. And a lot of the punch, like, it was just uh, two guys who don't know how to fight really or aren't really fighters. So no, nothing was squared up. But Dabrinka got a few good shots in there. I think he had an uppercut that must have connected. It was funny, man. That was not what I was expecting to see that game. <laughs> no. I was not on the bingo card. No, someone said they were worried because when they saw Yossi laughing, they remembered Zidane Chara laughing when it was Brendan Smith who wanted to fight him, and Smith was skating backwards away from him. And you Zidane know, Chara does have a track record of just beating up the biggest mutants in the NHL. Though. He does, yeah, because he is the king of the mutants. Yeah, he's a physical freak. Have you seen? He runs marathons now. Insane. So many. Professional athletes, not just NHLers, but professional athletes, they just, like, they let go and then what was hanging on in their body just finally releases because they can relax when they retire and they just get huge. Yeah. The Dustin Bufflin thing. And then Zidane Char is in better shape now, probably. Yeah. Insane. But yeah, Dabrinkit didn't do what Brendan Smith did. He just... <laughs> the old sneak attack. Look, man, that fired up the crowd. I think that fired up the crowd, that fired up the team. I mean it when I say I think that's why the Pistons won. Like everything good that <laughs> happened is because of Alex Dabrinkit. That was uh, that was funny. Then he had the goal, the assist, and the fight. Gordy Howe hat trick, man. Catrick. Yeah, yeah. The Red Wings admin were on that. That was great. Good to see. But yeah, the uh, aside from making the damn Alex Dabrinkit got hands meme, it was good to watch Detroit close it out in the third. And all in all, the huge OT winner pumped up the crowd. I think the crowd deserved to see that win. Before the end of the year, obviously Boston on New Year's Eve wasn't likely to be an easy game for Detroit, so at least they locked that one up. Detroit got two points. That was Alex Lyons' return to the net, and he got the win. He wasn't, like, outstanding or anything, but he was good, and I think the team played more comfortable defense in front of him, too. He didn't let any plainly bad goals in, which is a significant upgrade over what they've been getting. Yeah. Yeah. It's... What was the, the graphic that's been going around? Detroit, uh, the worst goalies going into 2024 based on, what is it, goals saved above expected? Yeah. 
And number six, like one being the worst, number six is James Reimer, and number 13 was Vili Huso. And that's a cumulative stat. So the fact that Reimer's all the way up there, despite playing the number of games he has, is truly an accomplishment. Yeah, six is James Reimer, and uh, five, so one worse, is Stuart Skinner. Reimer has 12 games played, and Stuart Skinner has 25. Yep. Oh, God. That's a cumulative stat compared to a goalie on the Edmonton Oilers. And you want to know who's at the top of that list? Did you see? Ilya Samsonov. Ilya Samsonov. I didn't didn't know. I just took a look. And it's, I guess. It's rough. Like, Reimer, negative 7.6 goal saved above expected in 12 games. In 15 games, Samsonov, negative 13.3. Oh, my God. But you know how Detroit's goaltending situation is bad? I had to read actual opinions on the internet of Red Wings fans wondering if Ilya Samsonov was worth a flyer. I I did not have the energy or patience to... Even if he made 750K, I would still not even take that bet. Yeah, if you're you're looking to upgrade from the sixth worst goalie in the league, I understand that. That gives you exactly five candidates who are not worth it. He's one of those five. Reimer for Samsonov... And Toronto adds something. They both equally suck, so sure. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sweetener out of it. It can't be worse. It can't be worse. That's what I I don't think. According to the numbers, it can. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think those people are insane, Brad. What if goalies are weird? What if they were saying just claim him? Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, off waivers. Yeah. No, 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 no. You don't Uh, do that. That full cap hit and all those goals against. You don't help Toronto. You know what's better than having three mid goalies? Four mid goalies. Uh, mid is being very generous. I, I think would Alex. To, I would take mid right now. Well, I, I'm trying I, not to be so negative because that's last, your resolution for yeah. 2024. Oh no, that's not it. At all. <laughs> I would no. say Alex Lyon has probably been good enough to be classified as mid. Man, being it, mid gets you a long career in the NHL. Being mid means if your team plays well enough to win, they probably win. That's not what Detroit or Toronto are getting right now. No. Uh, there's a there's a few things in life that you do and don't do. You do have a, a glass of water between every drink. Otherwise, it's going to be a rough morning. You don't help the Toronto Maple Leafs for free. No, it's, definitely that's not. That's universal rules. Anyhow, that was Detroit's win. Good on Alex Dabrinkit. Like I said, the Pistons won, I think, the next night, was it? Against yeah. Toronto. Against Toronto. You, owe the, you really owe the Knicks for that one. Oh, because they made that trade that yeah, morning. So, yeah, so the Raptors didn't have t- didn't get uh, quickly or Barrett in the lineup in time for that game, but they lost OG and Achua and whoever else it was. So as soon as I saw that trade, I'm like, "This is the night." That's... The Pistons are doing it tonight. You don't make a trade when the you got to go play the Pistons. <laughs> and dude, people were playing the Pistons like it was Game Seven of the Conference Finals every night. You don't want to be that team. No. And Toronto, as they are in professional sports, that team. That city. Yeah, that. Hey, and you know what? I can't wait for the next million times it happens. I can't wait. We get to dunk on Toronto for the first time in women's hockey history today. It's truly just that city. Starting traditions off. Okay, so that was Detroit's win against Nashville, which I thought, I actually thought, after they won that one, I'm like, oh, the prediction I made last episode where they're going to defy all odds and just win two games here was going to happen. Uh, they ended up losing 5-3 to Boston, and that was a game where they had two empty net goals, I believe, at the end, Boston. 
Uh, Comfort actually scored on the power play in between the empty net goals, if that feel, sounds weird, but it was a 5-3 win uh, for Boston over Detroit, also at home in Detroit. Trent Fredericks scored twice, once in the first, once in the second. Then Jake Wallman sniped one from Larkin and Raymond. Great play by Raymond to gain the zone and find Larkin and Larkin uh, back to Wallman. And then Ben Sherratt, as the defensemen were contributing, scored, uh, stepped up as well. And that was all for Detroit scoring until JT Comfer's late game goal, the power play goal to make it 4-3 after Boston already scored an empty netter to make it 4-2. So all in all, Detroit came up short. I don't think it was a terrible effort that game. I think, you know, if that game had come in November, you're like, yeah, it's just one of those games that happens. It wasn't, Lyon didn't play great. He had one softie, I'd say, but like, I don't think that tanked Detroit. The team defense was not brutal. It basically wasn't as bad as the rest of December was. I thought it was a very, you don't want to be happy about a loss, but it was an acceptable one in my mind. It was a very low event game, which is for years we've been uh, complaining about how when the Red Wings are good, they're boring and we'd like them to be exciting and good, which is what we got at the beginning of the year. This is kind of what they needed. They needed to be boring for a game and that's kind of what they got. The only problem was it was against Boston. Yeah. So. You're playing a top team in the NHL. You're not going to come into, like with that much talent, you're not going to come into the end of the the month where things have been terrible for you and run their show. Not unless there was an injury or they had a, a, a terrible night, but you know, I, I thought all things considered, if you told me, yeah, they'll they'll take the Nashville game and then lose one to Boston, that isn't like a tragic loss. If you're Detroit, you take that 10 times out of 10. Some good notes on that game. I think we saw a continuation of strong form from, I mean, I'm talking just in terms of production, not perfect games. I know there's defensive lapses and whatnot, but different players, Jake Wallman coming in, producing again, Larkin and Raymond assisting on that, and uh, Debrinket getting on the score sheet again on the comfort goal. And it's important for the confidence for those guys. I think there was a, a few games there where you're like, ooh, Raymond's game is disappearing a little bit. And so for him to to be picking that back up and for Larkin to be able to do the same thing. And Wallman especially, you said closer to the top of the show, Brad, that he and Sider have had some really terribly tough minutes, but also they weren't playing well. And so for Wallman to come in and have the three goals across two games and the added assist and whatnot, like you take those small victories, that's what you have to build on as a team. All right. So that was Detroit's two games. Upcoming, they have their West Coast Road trip, so they have Tuesday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern against San Jose, get the coffee going, and then Thursday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern against L.A., and then Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern against the Ducks before they have three days off. So we'll be back with you sometime on Thursday after the San Jose game, but the episode will record before the L.A. game because we do indeed need to sleep. We're getting old that way. So that is what's coming up for Detroit. I want to make a note of something you said last episode, Brad, which is uh, you mentioned that, you know, you did some rough math in your head or, or you just took a look. And if Detroit played at the October, November pace, you don't know if that would be enough for them to get in the playoffs. And I ran the numbers and I looked at where they were at the end of November. And I applied that points percentage to the remaining points that Detroit could get. And I believe that would put them at just about 92 to 93 points right now. And so you're right. They could be playing really great hockey over the sample size of, you know, half of October and November at the start of Detroit season. If you extrapolate that over the remaining 45 games for Detroit, 
they will need help to get into the playoffs. And they have to play at that pace for 45 more games. We're only 37 games into the season. Yeah, and you look at the standings last year, and I believe the final playoff spot was about 93, 94 points. So in theory, it's possible Detroit gets in the playoffs at that number. Last year was a fluke. I think the year before the benchmark was 99. Yeah, last year was 92, and the year before was 100. There Mm. you go. Yeah. So in reality, the likely outcome, as always, is probably going to be somewhere in between there. Yeah. And given how many teams are kind of in that bubble, playoff bubble right now, you got to assume a few of them are going to live up. So I would bet that number is closer to 100 than 92. The thing, the one area I have for optimism, and admittedly anybody who listened to the last episode knows I don't have a lot of optimism at this point. But the one thing that does give me optimism is we did see the Red Wings play at that points pace for two months. Mm-hmm. There were several flags there that led us to believe it was unsustainable, but there were a lot of sustainable things in there as well. It was fun. It was fun. They did that without Patrick Kane. So if they can play the same way they did in those two months, but some of the shooting percentages that they were riding regress a little bit, in theory could be made up a little bit by just having Patrick Kane. Yeah. So at this point in the season with the numbers laid out, would I call it likely? No. But I think we're a far way away from abandoning the season. I think another important thing is the composition of the games, you know, are the remaining 45 games against a lot of Atlantic division teams is a lot of Eastern conference teams because winning those are worth more than just two points. Yeah. If it's a lot of West coast teams and, or teams that are out of the playoff hunt already, then, you know, it it makes the, the task a little bit more difficult, but yeah, like I said, if it's Atlantic and Eastern conference teams that are all in the hunt, and Red Wings win those games, it becomes a lot more viable that that they, they could make the playoffs. Detroit's remaining strength of schedule, I just took a look at it. I believe they're in the top like 13 or 14 in the NHL in terms of having the hardest. So it's not... So it, that means they're playing playoff teams. Yeah, but it, it's about standard. Like it's mid, middle of the pack, I'd it's say. Mid? Yeah. Wow. Is that the theme for this this episode? Just mid? Yes. Which is an improvement over the I last couple? I unfortunately spent the weekend around a lot of people who are about five to ten years younger than us. Oh, you're you're and up to date on all the new yes. school lingo. Yeah. Thank God for Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> is there a Zoomer option on there? He, no, uh, he just had Urban Dictionary bookmarked the whole weekend. <laughs> Do, yes. Does the, does the most recent generation of internet users, do they use Urban Dictionary the way we did growing up? They probably, probably don't not. even know what it is. Yeah. They're like you go to a website, you don't just put it in the TikTok search bar, you numpty. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. I, I don't think they'd use numpty. No, they would, They absolutely would not. <laughs> you, you're both right. Like it's not all lost. I think that was a very damaging December. You know, I, I understand people weren't the most thrilled about how negative the outlook seemed the past couple episodes. But like I said before, you can't draw it wasn't as if you were watching the Red Wings play really great hockey and getting unfortunate results or the only problem was goaltending. No, we, we talked about it. We tried to lay it out. There's a lot that's gone wrong to the point where Detroit does need to, you know, it, it's not going to turn around overnight. Yeah, and the one point I kept seeing coming up from multiple places was, well, yeah, but 
every cold stretch is usually offset by a hot stretch. That's how sports work. So the Red Wings will probably rattle off another 6-1-1 one, and one at some point this season. So why are you being all gloomy? To which I'd say you're right. They that, did that last year. But they did that in October and November twice. That was their pace with those hot streaks. So the trick will have to be to, again, string together a couple more of those at a couple points in the season, which, again, statistically speaking, is likely, but they can't let the bad get equally as bad as it has before because the December was disastrous, but they also had a really rough stretch, I want to say, in early November as well that they were able to get out of before it got too bad, but then the December one hit and the wheels went off for a full month, which is an insanely obvious point. Not possible. Can't happen. Can't happen for a two-week stretch for the rest of the season if they want to make it. Yeah. It's like if they could get a save, if they had last year's Vili Huso goaltending in December, I think this team is not that far out of a playoff spot. You could make an argument that they could have stolen some games and be in one still. I, I would I would put them not so far out of it. And we said before, it's not just the goaltending. So much around the team besides the goaltending was going wrong. But it's also easy, and I don't mean this in a a negative way, it's easy to look at it and say that's one singular position where if you can fix it, it changes the game. You can have an off night and your goalie will save you. But Detroit doesn't have Connor Hellebuck. Detroit doesn't have Vasilevsky. Detroit doesn't have Swayman or whatever other top goalies are in the league. They have three guys where the best one got hurt like two days later after some strong performances in the Lion. Huso is lost this year and Reimer after some unsustainably good outcomes was has been predictably terrible. So like it, it's such a mixed bag. It's not like universal negativity about this team. No. We've seen that they can like the the five skaters on the ice in front of the goalie. We've seen how well they can play, which is why it's like no, you just have to kind of get back to that, get healthy, find your systems again, learn how to play together with new line configurations, whatever. But the goaltending I think is what's going to be the crux of it. I said in my preseason predictions, I think you know, where Detroit falls against Ottawa and Buffalo will be dictated, especially against Ottawa, will be dictated by the quality of goaltending. And I was more talking about the backups because I didn't think Huso had, you know, 60 games in him like they wanted him to have. And it turns out it's just any goaltending for both of those teams. It's any goaltending at all is going to dictate how good their seasons are going to be. And that that's ultimately what's going to dictate Detroit's because they have a good enough lineup to win games. They have good enough top-end players to win most games. They have competent enough defense where they're not going to tank them as much as what we've seen in the past, you know, nine years we've been doing this podcast, but the goaltending has been atrocious and that's what needs to change. I, Yeah, you'd love to see some points from, you know, those games you shouldn't have won. Yeah, totally. I don't know if that's happened yet this year and they still got to where they did going into December. I don't expect to see any performances like that the rest of the year. The goaltenders, and I, I mean this more as a compliment than an insult, and I know how it's going to sound. They need, they don't need Dominic Ashik. They just need Chris Osgood. Just don't lose the game. Wow, that's a great example. The old Grant Fuhrer, yeah. it's, uh, he's, he's like, you guys just need to score. I won't give up more than four or whatever he used to say. Yeah, like he, he, as long as he stops that last shot. He's like, I'll let in four, but I'll stop the fifth. <laughs> Lion, the game against Nashville, Lion did exactly just enough to win the game. That's all they needed. The defense in front of him wasn't great. The Nashville had a ton of chances. 
None of the goals that went in on him made you want to rip your hair out. He didn't make a ton of 10 bell saves where you're like, that is the reason we won. He did just enough to win the game. And again, against Boston, in reality, it was a 5-3 final, but it was a 3-2 game to which if you only get, if you give up three goals to the Boston Bruins, you're mm-hmm. probably taking that as acceptable. Yeah. That's what, that's what they need the rest of the year. We are not sitting here and going, Alex Lyon was a problem for this team this weekend, which is the first time we've said that about a string of games since November. And this needs to be the bar, the bare minimum for the rest of the season if they're going to have a chance. Well, new year, new team maybe. This is uh, the best time to turn it around. And on that theme, let's do some Red Wings resolutions for the calendar year of 2024. So for all three of us, think about the Red Wings. It could be a specific player. It could be the whole team in general. It could be Eiserman, Lalone, you know, the Chris Illich if you want. Like whatever you want, what is your... New Year's resolution for the Detroit Red Wings for the calendar year of 2024. So that's the rest of this season, the offseason, and the first part of next season. Mine is going to be, there's a lot to, to say about the team and, you know, the, the players specifically, but I'm going to do a Steve Eisman one here. It's going to be a continuation of what I've been saying ever since he chose to go out and spend in free agency a couple off-seasons ago and then continue it this past off-season. Detroit, in my mind, is locked into a path now. It, it'll be very hard to undo a lot of the doing that's been put in place in terms of trying to be good now, to try to make the playoffs now. And that's well and good, and you know we can relitigate that one I'm in the offseason, I'm sure. But Detroit's locked into a path. And so the resolution for Steve Eisman, for me, needs to be he needs to go out and make another big move. And I mean like to brink it level move. You need to find a way to push this team forward in a big way. Not to make him a cup competitor overnight, that's impossible, but you need another big swing because, you know, I think Brad and Evan, both of you have done a really good job of of talking about this in the past. Detroit is in a very dangerous zone right now where they could get mired in mediocrity for a long time. And the comfort I have knowing that that hopefully won't be the case is that's assuming everything that exists within the organization now is going to be what they move forward with. And that's just not the case. It just, it's going to take more moves, more GMing, you know, uh, you move prospects around, you acquire assets, you 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 take a risk, whatever. But I want to see that next big move. I want to see the next Alex Debrinket trade. I want to, you know, whether it's an offer sheet or go out and, and sign a superstar, whatever it is, find a way to make that move. And I would like to see that happen this year. Your resolution's very similar to my, what mine was going to be. So I'll just kind of make a continuation in a different circumstance. If that big trade or signing is not there, Steve Eisenman needs to take a real long, honest assessment of where this rebuild is at. Oh, like maybe the prospect pipeline for the amount of picks they've had is not good. The holes they have in their lineup currently and going forward don't look like they're going to be solved by the guys currently. There are good prospects. Don't get me wrong. But what this team truly needs, looking at it, is not in the system, which I believe is why you're right that the big move needs to happen. I think Nate Danielson is going to be a real good NHL centerman. He's not going to be that centerman behind Larkin to get him up to a cup. You don't think so? I don't think so. I think he has a chance for sure. Then if he's doing that, they absolutely need a legitimate, holy hell superstar on the wings. 
like on the wing, like better than Alex to bring it better than Patrick Kane. They need a superstar. I love Axel Sandin Pelica on the blue line. I th- love Simon Edvinson. Is Cider Wallman, Sandin Pelica, and Edvinson a top four to get you a cup? I have doubts. They they would have to all hit their ceilings, which again, as we've because t- I can hear people yelling at me, going, "Of course, you've been sitting here banging the drum for Sandin Pelica and Edvinson," which I have. But as we've talked about with prospects and all that, ceilings very rarely get hit. If Simon Edmondson is 80% of what we thought he could be, that's still a really damn good player. But he's way more likely to hit 60 to 80% than he is 100. Same with Sandine Pelica. I make the jokes about him being Eric Carlson. It's far more likely he's Tyson Berry. Like, that's just how prospects work. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Goaltending. Kosa looks like he could be a guy. Augustine lately has really started pushing Kosa for top prospect in the system, mm-hmm. which that could be actually the one position where they're the most well-suited going forward when you're talking about the pipeline because you got two really damn good options to be a long-term starter. If they can't go out and get like an Elias Pettersson, a Kyle Connor, a player of that caliber they might have to really reassess how they approach going forward because this patchwork defense of veterans sucks. That's not the answer, and that's not a solution to the long term. Eisenman's had a lot done the same thing at Ford. He's had a lot of hits. He's had a lot of misses. But the thing is, outside of Canada to bring it, none of them are impact players. Confer has been good. I didn't like that contract when it was signed. He has pleasantly surprised me. Back half of that contract is probably still going to hurt. Andrew Kopp, I'll say it straight up, that contract's a disaster. Didn't like it from day one, and it's somehow been worse than I thought it would be. I thought we'd at least get two good years out of him. That didn't happen. I'm horrified what the next three years are going to look like. This patchwork roster isn't getting you out of a rebuild, but there's not enough talent in the prospect pool to have another option currently. So Eisenman's almost backed himself into a corner of, we don't have a good enough system to compete, but we can't stay in the basement forever. So I have to go out and get these guys. I don't think that's a corner that was backed into. I think that's been the case. That's kind of the hand he was dealt. Yeah, that's probably a better way of looking at it because now I will argue there were a lot of drafting mistakes along the way, but yeah. he he's hit on most of his important picks. So I can't criticize that too much. I'd rather him miss in the second round and miss in the first round. And for the most part, he's been good in the first round. But yeah, my resolution for him is get out there in the summer and look what's around the league. Talk to Vancouver, talk to Winnipeg, although Winnipeg's one of the best teams in the league, so that option's probably dead. I always spoil everything, man. Yeah. Figure out what your options even are. And if you realize it's not likely to happen, you have to change the approach. He won't have a choice because I would rather the Red Wings go back in the basement for a couple of years than be the Minnesota Wild for the next 10 years. Wow. You know what? I, I actually like a lot of that. I understand the argument completely, but I think fundamentally I disagree with that being an option at this point. I, my concern is that you're right because I don't, I, I think if they go backwards at this point, that would be so demoralizing to all the key players in this organization that it would cause a significant problem. 
and this team already has problem luring big free agents in trades, y- you can't go backwards. I, th- I think you're right. I think if you're, you have to but, GM your way forward. I think the problem is like right now it looks bleak, but I, I, for me, and maybe I'm just the, the overwhelming optimist. I, I don't think it's bleak. I think it's just, it's hard to envision the moves before they're made. And you just know there have to be moves, but that's why there is a GM, right? Right now, if I'm Steve Eiserman, I am looking at everything Vegas has done over the last five years. And they, they made a, a ton of moves. And that's the thing though. They were hyper aggressive and they went big game hunting. Yeah. No more comfers, no more cops, no more Sherratt, Justin Hole. Those, these guys, a lot of them are okay players. This is not where's what is going to solve this problem. Vegas went out and paid a billion dollars to Alex Petrangelo. They traded a ton of futures for Jack Eichel. They traded a ton of futures for Mark Stone. That's got to be the game plan now. Every first line player and every top pair D that hits the market over the next two years, the Red Wings need to be the near the tippy top of that list. Fully agree with you. That's where I am right yeah. now. They, they can't be, be afraid to move prospects just because they think that there could turn out to be good prospects. Uh, Vegas moved on from Peyton Krebs like that. And like, it, we're good. See they, you later. They realized, oh, he might not be as good as we thought he was when we picked him. They traded Nick Suzuki and came out ahead of it. And Nick Suzuki's a great player. Like they are. And here's where the Red Wings are. How many prospects in this system are you uncomfortable moving on from if you're trading them? I, again, I think my list is three. Yeah, once, and I'd probably still trade two of them if it push came to shove. I, I like Danielson, Sandy, and Pelica are the ones where I'm like for for different reasons at their positions and because of their ceilings and the kind of player they are. I think that's a need for this team. You're not trying to to move other guys, but for the right price. Yeah, if you're trading for a Mark Stone level of player, you try to make that trade without them. But if push came to shove, you are, you throw them in. Again, prospects don't hit more than they hit. Remember Vegas gave up one of their top tippy-top first round prospects when they traded for Mark Stone. Remember who it was? Anybody? The defenseman from Ottawa. Eric Branstrom. Yeah. <laughs> Do they care at all that they got rid of him? No, and he, right? uh, he he turned out to be, like, uh, think of every top Red Wings pick since Eisenman has come in. Evan's point, sorry to cut you off, Evan's point, Peyton Krebs to Buffalo in the Jack Eagle trade. Do you think they care at all? Like, that that has to be the MO. It has to be. They have no other choice. Your resolution, Evan. Um, mine will be more short term and it might be going to say short winded. <laughs> yeah, well, Stop a puck. It will be short winded. And it is actually along the, the lines of stopping the puck. This team is terrible defensively, believe it or not. I don't know if you guys have. I picked that watched. up. Yeah. 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 They are in the bottom of the league in shots allowed and goals allowed. This was a team that was built to be low event, strong defense, defensive team structure. And I don't see that at all. I see. Shorthanded two on ones, odd man rushes being given up uh, a plenty. You know, Christmas is over. You can stop giving the other teams uh, gifts now. So I I need to see a less porous defensive zone and a less porous overall defensive game on all areas of the ice because it's been it's tough to watch some games, especially the the home plate area of of, of yeah. their end. It's just 
guys get free passes all the time to to skate through there and generate offense. It's it's brutal. That is a, a short. If they want to get this thing back on track and get into the playoff race, that's one of the very key issues that they need to solve in a hurry. Yeah, the amount of goals this year that have been not just one player's fault. Like for example, there will be a, a missed assignment in front where Jeff Petrie, will, instead of covering the front of the net, will go behind to try to help Sherratt. Neither of them beat the player with the puck, and then the the player steps in. You know, Forsberg, I think it was, or whoever. And they score. But it wasn't just Petrie. It was Debrinket floating in and not picking up that assignment when he sees the play shift in front of him. It's the entire team structure. You're right. It's There's a lot of puck watching in their own zone, especially off the cycle. Very poor communication between defensive partners and, you know, the supporting forward. That's got to get changed in a, in a, a very quick sh- amount of time here because <laughs> playoff teams are just going to eat them alive if... if uh, if they keep up the way they are right now. Yeah. Well, that was sunny. Well, isn't that, are, do people have good resolutions? Yeah, keep keep doing good. I guess that's the point of resolutions is to make yourself better. You guys, uh, you don't do resolutions, I remember. You don't, uh, do you set any personal goals for yourself for 2024? Just keep being me. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. <laughs> no, I don't. Did I just see you wince as you were laughing? You're in that yes. much pain. <laughs> yes. All right, those were our Detroit Red Wings 2024 resolutions. Let us know what yours are. Curious to see what people think. I think the important takeaway for me is that, you know, don't sugarcoat it. December was tough, and it it probably did a lot of really permanent damage to this season's ambitions of the playoffs, but not to the point where it's completely out of the question or, you know, it's hopeless. They're still in this thing, and you saw last year what they can do, but they have to continue to build on the things that matter for the rest of the season. And like Evan said, you especially the games that count for more than just two points. But let's jump into some hockey elsewhere. The World Juniors roll on, and it's been an interesting tournament so far. The quarterfinals are set. We have Slovakia versus Finland, Canada versus Czechia, and then on the other half we have the U.S. versus Latvia and Sweden versus Switzerland. Canada fell to the hands of the Swedes, it was a 2 nothing game, and I think the States had some problems with Czechia before ultimately prevailing. It, it's been a kind of a wild tournament. Latvia smokes Germany. Germany then gives Canada a run the next day. It was 3-3 at one point. Yep, in the third period. Yeah. I mean, the shots were like 33-10 to 10 at that point, but hey. As it goes. That, that was the score. But Canada can't get goaltending? What a new story for international hockey. I don't even think the goaltending has been the problem. The their defense has been okay. This is a team that can't generate offense like they used to. Celebrini looks like the real deal, though. Yeah, it's Celebrini and then whoever he can prop up. You know, ever since, uh, who's it, Ray Cops been put on that line, they've been producing a little more. Uh, Danielson's been pretty good, actually, his, his line. And he's been kind of their jack-of-all-trades because he's moved up and down the lineup as Geeky got tossed from the game. Savoy's been injured. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But yeah, Canada doesn't look like they have a lot of cohesion. Uh, they can't score their way out of problems like they normally can. Uh, God, yeah, I don't. Hard to call them a favorite going into the quarterfinals. No, and you know what? You see, obviously Sweden beat them, and so that's that's one right there. The states, you see their roster. You see the way Trey Augustine's playing. Two wins, nine, I think nine fifty two save percentage, one point five goals against average in a tournament where there's you know they can run up the score. He looks like 
you mentioned earlier in the show, Trey Augustine has looked from the moment Detroit drafted him like someone who could usurp Sebastian Cosa, a much higher draft pick as the top goalie prospect in the Red Wing system. And I don't think that's a hot take anymore. I think he's in the mix there. That's a that's a really, really good goalie. Scott Wheeler had a good article with The Athletic for about Trey Augustine. I'll, I'll link it in the description, but he's looked like the truth. Yeah, even in that route of Slovakia, uh, Slovakia is a really good team in this tournament. They're a legit metal threat. Um, if they get past Finland, I don't know if any team would want to play them. And that game was close for the first half. It was 3-2 about halfway through the game, and Augustine made a bunch of huge saves to keep the U.S. in the lead that game. And then, obviously, it got out of hand at eventually, and Augustine didn't have to worry about that pressure anymore. But he was the main reason that game was close that late into the game. Exciting for Red Wings fans. The, the players you want to see perform the most, you know, everyone thinks of Danielson, Sandine Pelica, et cetera. But like you said before, Augustine, if he's the one who's going to be putting up an insane performance, then yeah, that's that inspires some optimism for the Red Wings pipeline. So we'll update as the World Juniors go on. The quarters are going to be fun. Like I said, I, I don't think there have been too many like complete powerhouses that have gone unopposed in this tournament. So I'm curious to see how this one plays out. Sweden and the States both have easier quarterfinal matchups. I I don't want to sit here and say Canada, Czechia is a guaranteed outcome and Slovakia, Finland could go either way too. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. The Czechs obviously aren't as good as Canada, but they still have Yuri Kulich. If he goes on a heater and they get some goaltending, you never know. If the quarters go as expected between the U.S. and Latvia and Sweden and Switzerland, that semifinal game is could be the de facto gold medal game between the States and Sweden. Yeah. All right. That is the World Juniors, and we will obviously watch the outcomes of that and how the Red Wings prospects are playing. Elsewhere in the world of hockey, the first ever PWHL game was played in Toronto, New York against Toronto, home turf for Toronto, historic day for a league that hopefully takes off and cements itself and becomes, you know, the women's NHL equivalent. And in beautiful hockey fashion, Toronto didn't even score a goal and got shut out for nothing. Feels like the NHL already. That's big game in Toronto folds. No, I actually was able to watch the whole game today. Uh, just benefit of New Year's Day, just sitting around the house doing nothing. So it was great marketing on their part. And obviously we can get past the obvious flaws, the no logos, the no team names, the boring ass jerseys. It was a good game. It was a good product. The broadcast was good. The people they had on the broadcast were great. They were professional. They were knowledgeable. The game itself was good. You can see there's some obvious flaws in the gameplay now, but I think it's a result of this being the first of a league. It kind of reminded me a bit of junior hockey where the gap between the first liners and the fourth liners mm-hmm. is substantial. You're going to see that talent gap for a while, I think. And it's the only way that you're going to reduce that gap is the fourth liners need more playing time with and against the better players in the world because that's how you bring the bottom up. Mm-hmm. is they're playing at this level. So that's one of the big things with this league is these players will now get prolonged and regular exposure to better hockey, better hockey players, and it will raise that floor. Beyond that, though, I have had almost no criticisms. Again, it was a great product, great game, great broadcast. It was awesome. I I, I think 
the league probably couldn't be happier with how it went today. They would have probably liked Toronto to score a goal, but it, it looked and felt like professional hockey. When they announced their jerseys just being like the city, like New York Rangers style diagonal, I know it was like, uh, haha, look at them. They can't figure this out moment. But I am, if this, if it's the case where they actually like saw the response to the team names and went, okay, we can't do this. We have to find another way. And they just put a pause on it for this season. I actually think that was the right call because those proposed team names were so bad. The Toronto Torontos. That honestly would have been better. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody from Boston right now is really happy that their team isn't the wicked. That's what it was going to be. It was going to be the Boston wicked. Oh, it's like the MLS. Yeah, it was, they were bad. And if that's the reason they don't have proper jerseys, logos, and team names, yeah, that's probably accept, an acceptable reason to have delayed for a season. Yeah. The the obvious counterpoint here is, well, you shouldn't have come up with names that were so damn stupid in the first place, but I digress. I think they ran into a lot of like trademark and copyright stuff too, and they don't have the financial power to to buy a lot of those things out where you would see the NFL just like trample all over that because they can throw a bajillion dollars at you, right? You mean they couldn't have just been the Toronto Lady Maple Leafs or the Maple Leaf Ets? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm very happy they didn't do yeah. that. Why uh, curse your organization from day one? Well, they are inherently cursed by being they, in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why double the curse on yeah. the organization from day one? Uh, elsewhere in the NHL, uh, we mentioned earlier about Samsonov on waivers. The goaltending, goaltending is continuing to be a theme across the league of teams needing a solution. And as scoring increases and the save percentage decreases year over year, which is what the trend we're seeing right now, that that's a natural effect of that, what we're seeing. So it's not a surprise, but you have more and more often really talented teams who should be in contention for a, a playoff run. And you look at them right now, you're like, no, that goaltending. And as usual, Toronto's at the forefront of that. Like we talk about Detroit, but Detroit doesn't have Toronto's roster. Toronto needs to make a run this year. Have to, have to, have to, have to. They can't get a save. I don't know who or what Dennis Hildeby is, but it's funny that an entire city's hopes rest on his shoulders. They are. This it, is exactly like when Dubas made the move for Samsonov. That's like, I don't know if this is going to work, but we're going to hang all of our hopes and dreams on this guy. And here's where they are. It's the, it's the, Exact same thing as relying on wool. Like they just keep doing this thing over and over until they can find one that sticks. Is there just not enough good goaltending in the no. NHL these Th- days? It's like quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, I was listening to someone talk about that exact point today. I think it actually might have been on 32. Yeah, it was free. Just free, Jeff. Yeah, there's eight elite quarterbacks in the NFL. And if you have one of them, you hang on with everything you have for as long as you can. Same thing in the NHL. How many truly elite goalies are? are there where you know year in year out you're going to get top end performances from them and then that's it right now you've got Vasilevsky you've got Hellebuck you've got probably Ottinger in Dallas you could classify Sorokin Sorokin Shesterkin that's the five I had when he's healthy you could maybe throw Demko in there did you say Vasilevsky yes whichever guy in Boston is unreal that year yeah pick, pick whoever Boston's goalie is Beyond that, you're patchworking something together and praying. Can you really even blame Florida for the Bobrovsky contract? No, because at the time he was a multiple-time Vesna winner, and I mean he went supernova last playoffs too. Yeah, and if they had won a cup, no one would ever talk about that contract ever again. No, 
You just need, yeah, you just need to win a cup once in every contract. I think even at the, like, the fact that he gave him a chance to win it last year is almost enough to warrant it. Oh, God. When he's good, he's one of my favorite goalies to watch in the league. It's disturbing. Yeah. It's so funny watching. Like, anyone who's like, oh, goalies are voodoo is an annoying thing. How do you watch Bobrovsky do that and then play how he does the rest of the year and not think goalies are voodoo? So, yeah, the one thing I've been thinking about since I posed that, well, before I posed the question, but I posed the question today, is does this mean teams are going to start drafting goalies higher in the draft, or are they going to continue just saying, hey, whoever comes out of the wash, this is who we're rolling with? I think that's where you're at. We forgot Saros, by the way. Yes. Oh, which yeah, he showed us exactly yeah, why with that save on Kane. Exactly. The thing, though, is you look at, of those eight goalies we rattled off, Two, three of them are, if that, are first-round picks. Yeah. Like, you gotta, you need to develop better goaltending scouting. And development, because yeah. we talk about Detroit, there's been a theme lately where goalies come to Detroit to die when they've been good elsewhere, and you look at this year, well... Is anybody that surprised that Alex Ndelkovic has been pretty damn good for Pittsburgh? Talented goalie just needed the the mental stability. Great in Carolina, shit in Detroit, great in Pittsburgh. Who's so great in St. Louis, although unexperienced, comes in, struggles in Detroit. Like, this is a theme at this point. Is it the development? Is it the coaching? Is it the team? Probably yes. <laughs> it's always, it's, I think it's always a mix of something, right? <laughs> You want to know, and this is a little bit of a sidestep, you want to know one of the biggest culprits for the reason I think there's a lack of strong goaltending in the NHL? Hockey Canada. Most, the the most prominent country of origin in the NHL, still to this day, is Canada. Hockey Canada does not produce enough talented goalies. Look at international tournaments, world juniors, look at the Olympics. Tristan Jari might be on the uh, Team Canada roster. Of those eight we rattled off, zero were Canadian. And... If you want to get into a big conversation about that, I have a theory and a reason for it is goalies in minor hockey in Canada right now. And in the off season, we should talk about this because I've got thoughts. Minor hockey in Canada is boring, awful hockey. Even at my daughter, my daughter plays top level boys hockey. She's seven years old. They're already teaching her systems chip and chase, and they discourage her from carrying the puck too much. At seven years old, when you're learning skills. That is ridiculous. There's a, my team, we play home games on Saturday nights, and I think there's a U13 or U14 team that plays while we're warming up in, uh, in the concourse before every game. Every one of those games, no matter who they're playing, 2-1, 2-0, 3-1, it's Awful hockey to watch. It's all D to D, give up, chip, chase, cycle. There's no skill in Canadian hockey anymore, which means the goalies, how many, like I'm watching some of these U13, U14 games. I'm watching whole periods with, and there's goalies just not getting a, a quality shot. Everything's coming from the point. And like typical forward, just job no security, defense, baby, huh? on that back end. <laughs> but it's, no, I know your point. Yeah. It, it's crazy to me, and I think you're absolutely right that, yeah, there's no talented goalies coming out of Canada because most of them aren't getting work. It also costs up. an absolute fortune to oh, be a goalie, God. so the amount yeah. of goalies being also, produced yes. is 
significantly lower. I talked to Mel and I'm like, if our future kids, you know, want to play hockey after we introduce them, then that's great. And I'll allow them to do whatever. But if they say they want to be a goalie, I will convince them that they are wrong and stupid. They're going to, they'll first have to watch all home games of the Red Wings for the past nine years. Yeah. Like, are you sure you want to play hockey? <laughs> and at, if after that they're sure, then I know they have this sickness in their head. They need to be uh, an amazing goalie. And at that point I'll let them, but I will need to start buying lottery tickets if I want that to happen. Yep. To parents of goalies everywhere, we salute you. From beer league to the NHL, you're necessary, but God, I don't envy you. Yeah, my biggest fear in life was that either Hank or Miko would want to be a goalie. Hank's got the goalie energy, man. He looks like he eats pucks. Oh, no, he's he loves scoring goals way too much to Hell ever yeah. be a goalie. I, th- I think Dude's rock. I've made it. I think I'm okay. I think I'm in the clear. Congratulations. All right, let's jump into overtime. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to support the show, again, the benefits, the bonus overtime episodes, the tickets that we give away to Red Wings home games, and the Discord, that and lots, lots more, you allow us to run this show, continue to uh, allow us to do bigger and better things, uh, more content like Expected by Whom, a show hosted by Sean Shapiro and Prashanth Iyer, and supporting the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Again, patreon.com slash podcast. Let's take some questions and comments from our patrons. Uh, we'll start here with AJ Voss. Says, I finally figured out what's happening. The script writers are setting up a Bedard Celebrini Chicago Detroit Stanley Cup final in five to 10 years. We're finally going to make a massive jump to win a draft lottery, which will be the final piece of our consistent contention. They're also going to intentionally give us Celebrini after we added the most in two straight off seasons to get people to stop talking about tanking after last year while still ensuring an original six team gets a marketable star. I am not a crackpot. Man. <laughs> if you have to say you're not a crackpot, you are. Yeah. Imagine getting Celebrini. I mean, no, I don't. <laughs> He's certainly not Connor Bedard, but I would welcome him with open arms. I've been hurt before when we had the best odds. When we have the tenth best odds, no, I'm not even entertaining the thought. What if Detroit got Lafreniere that year? That'd be a disaster. We'd be inconsolable right now. Well, who knows how, how his development would go if he was outside of the Rangers and playing first line in Detroit, but. I digress. Right now, I'm Drink. just I'm just happy that we the trade with Ottawa for Debrinket, we gave them essentially Boston's pick because the gap between those two is substantial. <laughs> Dennis Group says, "Hey guys, who's a player or players that you would realistically trade for by the deadline to help this team make a push for the playoffs? Happy New Year!" Anybody you can acquire for less than a fifth round pick. I would sooner see Detroit find a way to move players. And I don't mean like sell Goss Bear. I mean like if you can get rid of, uh, it'll be hard to do with the no trade clause. Um, but the second year of Jeff Petrie, for example, or Olimata or Ben Chirot maybe. I think in two to three weeks we'll be having this conversation one way or the other for real. But I'm already kind of, you know, January 1st, players on one-year contracts are eligible for extensions as of today. If I'm Steve Eisman, because there's a lot of pending UFAs on this team, I'm talking to Daniel Sprong and Shane Gossespierre's agent about an extension right now. And if they are agree, if they agree, you do it. Otherwise, if the Red Wings don't fall out of this skid in two, three weeks, Gossespierre, Sprong, Perron, there's a lot of valuable aspects they could unload. And this almost, again, is going to seem counterintuitive. Because we're talking about how do you get out of this rebuild without going backwards, but this is almost to the point Ryan was making earlier. If you get a second round pick for each of them. That's a retool. 
that is more ammo to trade for good players. Expire players who aren't willing to sign extensions on expiring contracts are useless to the Red Wings rebuild. If it is very clear they are not going to make the playoffs this year, or at least it's very, they have like a 10% chance, which again, doesn't, I'm not saying it to be negative. It's just math is the most likely path right now. We're not mean. It's just math. Assets help and expiring contracts are only assets until the deadline. Mm -hmm. And then you're screwed. So, and do you have to, at some point you have to sit down and have a, let's say the Red Wings don't turn it around and I hope they do. And I think it's possible, but let's say they don't. At what point do you sit with Patrick Kane and be like, are you staying? Are you waiving that no trade clause? You can sign extensions I know, as yeah. of now, which is the conversations I'm having. I might, given that Patrick Kane just got here, I, I might not be having the trade conversation yet, but I'd be having the extension conversation totally. for sure. Because that's the preferable outcome. Yeah. I think. Yeah. With, with Sprong, Gossespierre, and Perron, I'm saying, actually, I don't want to extend Perron, but with Sprong and Gossespierre, I'd almost be saying, here's, here's our offer. Give us a counter offer. Let's get this done. Otherwise, you're going at the deadline. It seems like the Patrick Kane and Detroit Red Wing camps are very close-lipped. So I bet you there's a lot of conversations that, you know, were behind closed doors that warranted Patrick Kane to come to Detroit. Like, you know, it's like maybe he maybe he doesn't want to be the hired gun at the trade deadline anymore that and that would might be possible based on his no-move clause. He doesn't he wants the stability, right? I think yeah. he wants to win and he wants stability, and it just depends on which one he cares more about. Yeah, and obviously the Red Wings are okay with with that, given the fact or the way this contract is structured. It'll be very interesting. If the Red Wings start falling out of this, I guarantee you teams will be calling Steve Eiserman's phone nonstop. Oh, it, it, it's absolutely an, it's a good and bad but very interesting problem to have because this is the year Iserman loaded up because he wanted to make the playoffs. We suffered through how many years of this rebuild at the deadline going, hey, maybe our best trade chip might get us a third or a fourth round pick. They have a lot of valuable players on expiring deals right now. So if this thing does go sideways, it could be a very fruitful deadline. But... How much is their appetite to sell this year? A fun trade deadline is good news, but Not at the no, a boring trade pain. deadline is good news. That was going to say a boring trade deadline is even better news because yeah. that means things have turned around. All right. A little game here from the Mexinadian says extend long-term, extend short-term or trade. Valeno, Rasmussen, Berggren. Oh, I think the most likely is in that exact order, long-term Valeno, short-term Rasmussen, trade Berggren. That's what I was thinking was the most realistic as well. But what uh, would you do? I'm assuming that we're talking reasonable cap hits here. Yeah. I'm going to go extend. Do I have to pick one of each or can I do multiple for? Multiple? One of each for the purpose of the game. Okay. Long-term Valeno, short-term Berggren, I'd trade Rasmussen. I wonder... I sometimes I, he's wonder, got a very good rep around the league. Yeah, I think that would be the best. It's not asset the, management decision. You're not. You're you're selling low on Berggren right now. I would think. I would also agree with that. I agree too. It's hard to even say. Like, there's just no sample. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And and I think out of all players in Detroit, reputation versus actual results, Rasmussen's probably the best balance in terms of a trade there. I, it's not the same player and it's not the same situation, but I keep looking back at the Tanner Janot trade 
And I'm like, oh, if Ras, if someone sees Rasmussen as a Tanner Jano, then anything is possible. Yeah, if you call the right GM, that's they, right. They never would have done it, and I would argue at the time they shouldn't have done it. But the best they should have sold Rasmussen this offseason. His value was through the roof. But you know what? He, the the kind of game he was playing. No, yeah, you it was it, you wanted to keep him, especially the Red Wings when you're loading up, him. thinking they were most they were hunting for the playoffs. So yeah, it it. They didn't trade him. They shouldn't have traded him. But hindsight being 2020, damn, was that ever the right time? Uh, comment here from Lars Thorzell says, hello, boys, and a happy new year to you. Happy New Year's, Lars, uh, to you and your family over in Sweden. Uh, he says, apart from starting the season quite well, I think we're dropping back into old sins that harken back to the Blasher era. Creative players are not playing ahead of safe players who are lesser players in every facet of the game as Perron, Fisher, Cop, and the like. It's like we're looking to have players who are all the same guy, just a lesser version the further down we go in the lines. That's actually incredibly apt. Like we're, We've had, he phrased it in a better way than the previous conversations we've had where we talk about Steve Eiserman has a type, but like you need to break the mold sometimes because how many times has he passed up skill for? You need dynamics. Exactly. They're all, like, outside of Debrinket and Kane, they are all the same damn player. Mm -hmm. Just different variations of it. We struggle to enter zones. We drop pass in a manner that makes it moot since the opponents can read it as if it was signaled ahead of time with semaphores. We dump the puck like we're dreaming ourselves back to the 90s. So the question at hand is, this is a season where we're trying to make a tiny step forward while more or less treading water, hoping that the boys in Grand Rapids are kicking down doors next season. Can we have two rookie D on... The team next season while adding Berggren to the forwards if they aren't getting games that matter before the season is over. Will that team make the playoffs? Right now, I find it hard to see the way we are going, pushing the chips in or still rebuilding. It's the entire franchise. It's like the entire franchise is trying to ride two horses with one ass. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who thought that this season would ride on whether Kane's hips would hold up? Cheers, lads, and here's to a better 2024. It boils down large. There's a few legitimate qualms. Like, I think I would... I would like there to be a way for Berggren to be on this roster. I think that'd be good. I think it's you have to have Edmondson on this roster. I I, I think there's no you're just hindering yourself by not getting him the experience as soon as possible. And between Hall and and Petrie and Mata, some games Sherratt, but he's been a lot better this year. One of those veteran defensemen is hurting you. Just have Edvinson in there making those mistakes because, anyways, I've done this a million times. I, we've been having this conversation for years. You have to stagger your prospects. You have to. Like, you just, if Johansson has a great camp next year, are you going to, is he going to make the team? No, because Edvinson's going to be the rookie and you're not. You're going to have more. The, this yeah, team is moving towards more dead cap and buyouts, which is, I, I don't mind that. It's a function of the salary cap. I think you should use it. It's just, you shouldn't have to be using it so often. Yeah, well, trade David Perron at the deadline. The return is nothing, but they have to take Petrie too. No deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, any team contending will absolutely not do that because they won't have the cap space for it. Anyhow, uh, the answer large is that there's a lot of different things that this team could be doing better right now. But in terms of like what's happening in the future, outside of the things I, I just suggested as being an overall qualm, I think the answer in my, again, maybe too sunny opinion is just that more GMing has to happen. And that's just, it's hard to predict what it will be, but it doesn't mean it can't happen. But we'll see. Okay, well, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. I am de- in desperate need of uh, nutrition as my body is screaming at me. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Welcome to 2024. We hope everyone had a safe and happy new year. We're excited for a, another year of content. 
uh, with you tuning in. So much, much appreciated. I'd like to thank uh, Labatt Blue Light for sponsoring this episode, as well as all of our listeners, new and old. Thank you so much for tuning in. And to all of our patrons, this doesn't happen without you, especially our name level supporters. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Big Banana, Ryan Hanana, <laughs> Brad Shin Extensions, Baggins, Carl, Brutana Nanaluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Daddy Bettman Bucks, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek and Stam, DJ Denton, Eric Shun, G.O.D. Creatives, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K. Cannon Fodder, the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red Feathered Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Screen Lube, That's What I Appreciate About You, Woman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, A.B., Adam Rose, Axel Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Bill Nye the Thigh Guy, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Bu- Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheeseback Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show, Derek James, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, New Year, New Red Wings, Nora Sider, Ophelia, Steven, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X, formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Talk to you later this week. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.